The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Morning, church. Man, I'm going to say I'm impressed to see so many of you this morning. I assumed that the cold was going to keep people away. Uh, I got up this morning and looked at the thermometer, and it just said, nope, which was weird. (laughs) I was like, well, that's rude. But anyway, here we are. Um, If you're new around here, and and maybe a a few of you are, uh, my name's Brian, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Steadfast. Really, really thankful that you're with us. I hope that you feel the welcome of Jesus in this place. Um, we're a pretty simple church, as you'll find out. We don't have a lot uh, of programming and that kind of thing, so we try to keep it simple. But uh, we do have community groups and Bible studies, which we're going to be talking about today. Uh, if you saw those tables as you made your way in, uh, we're doing a meet and greet for all of our groups and, and um, Bible studies uh, this semester. So if you're not already plugged into a group or a class, uh, this will be a great opportunity to meet some of those leaders. Uh, it's arranged geographically, and I'll get to that at the end of the gathering, but you can sort of go and, and, and find a group and maybe date a couple and see if there's some chemistry uh, and then plug into a community group. But uh, got that going on today. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the, the hardback black ones uh, in the pew there are for you. Um, page 917. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can just take one of those. Seriously. The hardback black, just take it. It's our gift to you. It's not stealing because I said you could have it. So uh, we want you to have the scripture in your hand. So we're taking, uh, if you've been around, the month of January to sort of recalibrate ourselves around a renewed vision that we believe the Lord has given us for the life and the future of our congregation. And uh, just to give you a real quick recap, uh, that statement which we unveiled a couple weeks ago is simply this, that we exist to proclaim the good news of Jesus for the joy of all people to the ends of the earth. If we're going to be known for anything, let it be that, that we exist to proclaim the good news of Jesus for the joy of all people to the ends of the earth. Now, the mission never changes. Jesus has given us our mission, which is to make disciples, to go into all the world and make disciples. But here at Steadfast, a, a disciple is, is marked by at least three things, okay? And we, this is what we're talking about in these next few weeks. You can throw that up if you want to, the, uh, the second piece of that. Disciples are marked by three things. Number one, knowing Christ. Number two, becoming a family. And number three, loving our neighbor. That we want to glorify God as his disciples by knowing Christ, becoming a family, and loving our neighbor. So last week we looked at what it means to know Christ and um, I, I told you then, and I will say again, one of the best ways to begin that journey of knowing Christ more deeply is through his word. Uh, all the Bible reading plans, I was, I've been hawking this thing for so long, and they all got taken once again. So we printed a whole bunch more, and they're out at that uh, white table on your way out the glass doors. Uh, it was also sent in a PDF email to you. But I'll just briefly say this, because I didn't say this last week. Uh, if you're the kind who, gets, who starts to feel guilty because you didn't check off the, the box and you're already like three weeks behind, just check off the other boxes. <laughs> just, just like 
You're on week three or four or whatever of January. Just check off the other ones and the Lord will bring you to them later. The other thing is this. Some of you are more auditory learners. You're not, uh, you know, you get in the, in the word like with your eyeballs and it's like not making sense to you. And there are great, 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 great audio Bible resources out there. Uh, almost any app that you find that's, got a, that, that's a Bible app has audio behind it. Uh, if you want to go a step further, um, you can subscribe to different ones. Dwell is one of them. Um, uh, the ESV uh, Bible app, uh, you, you can do a subscription and it has different voices. You can actually put music behind it and all that kind of stuff. It's wild. But um, that's another way. Just like start somewhere, right? Just start somewhere with getting the word into you, whether that's you reading it or listening to it or whatever uh, every single day or at least four days a week as we talked about last week. So today we are looking at becoming a family. Now that is one of the most important but also one of the most challenging metaphors for the church in the whole Bible. Now, you know, there's a lot of metaphors for the church. Uh, the, the church is called the body of Christ. The church is called a royal priesthood. Uh, the church is called a temple of the Holy Spirit. We'll see that even in our passage today. The bride of Christ, the army of God. But when we use the word family to describe the church, uh, family's a loaded word for us, isn't it? Because all of us have been shaped by our experience of our nuclear family. And for many people, the word family brings us uh, uh, feelings of joy and gratitude. And for others of us, the idea of family brings us a lot of pain. And we remember a lot of brokenness. And I would venture to say that for the bulk of us, it's probably a mixture of both. And yet Jesus often refers to his disciples, his primary community, as his family. Um, you, you will see over and over again, he calls his disciples his brothers, or he'll say brothers and sisters. That, that word Adelphoi, um, it's, it's, it's a familial connection. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus' mother and brothers actually come looking for him. They think he's gone crazy. Uh, and, and they say to him, hey, your mother and brothers are outside. And he says, who are my mothers and brothers? These people are my mothers and brothers and sisters, those who do the will of God. He, he, he considered, and now we might hear that and go, yeah, what so big deal. He called them his brothers. He called them family. It's actually scandalous that Jesus would call his primary community of disciples family. It, it was scandalous then. It's scandalous now. And here's why. Because what Jesus is saying is that the bond between um, brothers and sisters in Christ is actually thicker than blood. In other words, that our commitment to one another as the people of God, um, our love for one another as the people of God, uniquely displays a love that is coming down from above. It's otherworldly. And it's more permanent and lasting and deep than even blood relation. That's wild. And most of us don't believe it. But that's what Jesus is getting at here. So um, Ephesians 2 is where we're going to be. Sorry for that long introduction. But let me read the verses and then we'll jump in here and see what the Lord has for us. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, page 917 in your hardback pew Bible. Follow along as I read verses 11 to 22. Therefore... Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at, you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... 
in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man or new humanity in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, what a joy and a privilege it is to be together this morning as the people of God, as this expression uh, of the church. And uh, I thank you for all the men and women in the room, all the little babies in the room. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just meet us here in these few moments that we have together by your Spirit. And through your word, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me and empower me that I might rightly divide this passage um, so that it might encourage and challenge and bless your people. I pray that there's, if there's anyone in the room this morning who does not know Christ, who is not known by Christ uh, uh, as Savior, Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do this morning to save and to renew. But Lord, meet us here. I pray that you would um, show us mighty and beautiful things in your word. And um, we ask all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right. Uh, So what I want to talk about really is towards the end of this passage, but I want to give us context. So we're going to work through the whole thing, um, but I'll, I'll move quickly through the first, you know, whatever seven or eight verses here. Um, The first thing I want you to see, and I'll just give you the the point now, in verses 11 through 13, is that Jesus brings us to God. Jesus brings us to God. We see that in verses 11 through 13. Um, Again, he says here, remember at one time you Gentiles, so he's speaking to those of us who have non-Jewish background, called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, chapter one of Ephesians, if you're not familiar with the book of Ephesians, uh, I would highly encourage you to read the book of Ephesians. It's by far my favorite book in the entire Bible, just so rich and full of glorious truths. But chapter one, essentially, is about salvation from God's point of view, how God works in our salvation. Chapter two is largely about how we experience salvation, okay? First as individuals, and then the result of that salvation as a community. And this is important because the Ephesian church was made up of both Jews and Gentiles, okay? Um, though it was largely Gentiles, there, there was a mixture of both in that church. And, and as if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I've mentioned this, historically, there was huge animosity between Jew and Gentile. The Jews were God's chosen people. They were called to be a light to the world. Um, But somewhere along the way, they became very proud of their traditions and their laws and their heritage. And they started to look down at everyone they considered unclean who did not follow the Jewish law and ritual. 
And, and the antagonism between Jew and Gentile was so bad that many scholars believe that even after Jesus came, even after Jesus gave his life, even after Jesus resurrected and ascended, that it took somewhere between seven and 10 years before the gospel was ever preached to a non-Jewish person. That's how bad the antagonism was. That when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, the disciples heard that as, go into all the world and make disciples of all Jews. But somewhere in the book of Acts, they finally started to realize, oh, this good news is for all people, not just our people. But even then, even as Gentiles started to uh, surrender their lives to the lordship of Christ, there were some who still derided non-Jewish converts to the faith. Um, and, and if you were with us last week, we talked a little bit about this, that there was a, a group of people who called themselves the circumcision, right? Because they were Jews who followed Jesus. And they looked down on everyone else. They called them the uncircumcision, which was really a slur. And, and Paul had to go, no, 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 we are the real circumcision because it's a circumcision of heart by faith. I don't need to recapitulate all that I covered last week. But Paul here, speaking to primarily Gentiles, is saying, hey, you have got to remember who you were before Jesus. Remember who you were. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the people of God. You were strangers to all the promises of God that you find in the scripture. You were without hope and you were without God in the world. And listen, if you're new to this whole church thing, that's how every single one of us start. Separated from Christ, alienated from the church, strangers to the promises of God, without hope and without God in the world. That's how we all begin because we are sinners by nature and by choice. And 10 out of 10 times, apart from Jesus, we will choose self over God. We will choose our own way instead of the way God wants us to do. We will, we will choose either to disobey God's commandments or to rely on our own obedience to, the, to those commandments. And, and both of those are wicked in the sight of the Lord. We will either choose disobedience or relying on our obedience and without surrender to Jesus, just hear me clearly right now, without surrender to Jesus, without receiving with the empty hands of faith the finished work of Christ on your behalf, Many of us will continue to live without hope in this world and we will die without God. And it is a terrible thing to be without hope. It's a worse thing to be without God. But verse 13 reminds us of the good news of Jesus. Look at it again. But now, isn't but like the greatest conjunction in the whole Bible? But, but no, that's not the end. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He, hear this clearly. He who had perfect union with God was separated from God in order to unite us. He who walked with the Lord, he who walked with God was cast out of his presence so that we could be welcomed in. He who is the very covenant promise of God became a curse for us so that we could experience the blessing of God. He who is our hope was forsaken on the cross in order to give us a living hope that will not put us to shame. Have you been brought near? 
Has the blood of Christ brought you near to God? Have you received this good news of Jesus? If you haven't, I plead with you to make today the day of salvation. Open your hands, open your heart, and receive the work of Christ for you. You will not regret it. So Jesus brings us to God, but then secondly, Jesus gives us his peace. Look at verses 14 to 18. You guys hanging in? It's super quiet in here. All right. Not even like an amen or nothing. All right. Your amen is frozen. I know. I got it. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Jesus gives us his peace. He himself, Paul says, is our peace. Christ, in other words, has made peace between us and God by the blood of his cross. That's what Colossians 1 reminds us of, right? That, that, that um, he reconciled us to, to the Father in, in, uh, and, and made peace with God by the blood of his cross. And you and I, in Christ, we experience the privilege of his peace by grace. And we enjoy that peace and we are so thankful for it. But the good news of Jesus does not just make individual Christians, it actually produces a new people. Here Paul says that he has broken down the dividing wall. Now literally in the temple there were, um, there were multiple courts. So think of like concentric circles, although they're more like rectangles I guess. Concentric rectangles, okay? And so you had, um, you had an outer court you had the court of the Gentiles, okay? Then you had the court, uh, I believe it was the court of the women next, and then the court, the court of the Jews, the court of the women, the court of men. And so um, depending on your status, right, you could go further and further. But, but, but between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews, there was actually a partition. And there was a sign on that partition that said that if any Gentile was caught going beyond that into the court they were not supposed to go into, the punishment was death, But through Jesus, those dividing walls have been completely broken down. And Christ's peace flows into us and then flows through us and empowers us to be at peace with each other. All kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of uh, different experiences who come together in unity because of Jesus. He says we are one new humanity, one new man. And the reason for that is because all those who are in Christ are new creations. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says, right? That we are new creations in Christ. We are, we are joined together into this new type of humanity, one that loves one another and, and considers each other um, more important than, than ourselves and lays our lives down for one another and pursues one another in love. We are joined together, he says, in one body, by one spirit, which means this. The power in Jesus to unite us is greater than any power on this earth to divide us. I wonder if you believe that. 
There is a greater power in Christ to unite us than any power on earth that can divide us. It is, it is stronger than any political force, stronger than any socioeconomic force. It's, it's stronger than anything. This bond that joins otherwise disjointed, you know, disunified people and brings us together in Christ. God is doing something far more significant than any worldly cause could ever produce. He is moving among an otherwise divided and hostile people, and he is bringing them together by his holy peace. That's amazing. And you know what, church? It starts here among us. It starts right here. It's been said that the best apologetic for the reality of Christianity is not an argument, but a community. It's a people. It's us. Because all those dividing walls that we hide behind, and you know which ones they are, all those walls you kind of, and you're like, those people aren't like me because I'm over here on this side and my side's awesome, right? It's that kind of stuff. All those stupid dividing walls that you and I put up and try to hide behind, they come crashing down in Jesus. They come absolutely tumbling down and Jesus unites us and you and I then become a living proof, not a living denial, that the good news is true and that anyone can belong here. I wonder if you've experienced that. Um, I've told this story before, um, but I only have like a handful of stories, so I tell them over and over. And you don't listen anyway, so it's fine. Um, it was probably like the second year after we had planted Missio Day, second or third year. And um, one of the first guys that, that ever got baptized in our church um, was just tattoos everywhere, and he had a really rough life and background or whatever. And, um, and he had a tattoo in the back of his neck that said uh, sex and violence because he would say up till he met Christ, those were the two things that defined his life. And uh, he used to wear his hat backwards and whatever, and he would come to church. Well, there was another guy in our church who was pretty straight-laced, you know? And uh, he'd grown up in the Baptist church his whole life, and a really wonderful man. But he ended up one week sitting behind this other guy. And, and he, looked, he was looking at this guy who's got his hat on backwards and tattoos all over. And his initial gut thought was, the nerve of this guy coming into my church like this. Right? And it wasn't long before he said the Holy Spirit convicted him and he said, Hey, McFly, hello. You're in the same church, man. Like you get to worship together. And he saw this guy lift his hands and it it just melted his heart that this guy who's so different than him, right? They couldn't be any more different. What What unites them? Jesus. And how beautiful is that? So listen, if there's ever a time where someone walks through one of these doors, And your initial gut reaction is, I can't believe this person walked in here. Repent immediately. If the good news isn't good news for all people, it's not good news for anybody. So let us be a people. Now, it doesn't mean we condone unrepentant sin. It doesn't mean that we just like give a pass to, okay, but but it takes... It takes relationship to be able to get to know someone well enough to go, hey, can we talk about this thing in your life? We become living proof 
that the good news is true and anybody can belong. And here's the reality. I'm not good at it and neither are you. But we don't have to be good at it. We just have to be open. We have to be willing. We have to be willing to ask the spirit to do in us and through us what only he can do. And I believe he'll do it. So Jesus gives us his peace, which then allows us to be at peace with other people. You guys still with me? Okay, here's where I wanna spend the bulk of our time. (laughs) And by bulk, I mean the last 15 minutes I have with you. Uh, Jesus makes us a family. Jesus makes us a family. We see that in verses 19 to 22. Now, I'll just tell you, Paul gives multiple metaphors or multiple images here for the church, and I just want to pull one out, and we're going to focus on it, but we'll look at all of them here in series. Verse 19, so then, as a result of what Jesus has done for us to, to bring us to God and then to give us his peace, so then, you Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Yeah. Jesus makes us a family. So he gives these three images here to describe the significance of this new community that is coming down from above, this community of faith. And they all have to do with both identity and a sense of belonging. Okay, so first he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. In other words, we have a permanent residence now among the saints of God. Now, uh, I think most of us, if not all of us in the room, would, would say, would acknowledge we are American citizens, which means, uh, among other things, that we share a national identity. So, for example, uh, phrases like President's Day and MLK make sense to our ears. Numbers like July 4th and 9-11 are significant to us as Americans because we share that common identity. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so in one sense... We are part of a great new nation. Uh, Peter even talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, that that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possessions. We are being called into this thing that is in some sense a a great new nation, right? Uh, And Jesus is going to make it great again for sure. Um, That was a bad joke. But then, then he says, and members of the household of God. Now that word household um, can be translated as family. So read this. You are no longer strangers and aliens. Remember at the beginning of this chapter, you were at one time strangers and aliens, but no longer. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the family of God. We, we are part of God's family by grace. Remember John 1? John reminds us um, that, that Christ came into the world and his own people did not recognize him or give not. But he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. That right now in your seat, wherever you are, by the grace of God, you have the right to be called 
a child of the Most High. What? <laughs> you are a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe. And, and we're, we, are, we are born into it in a sense by faith, right? Not born of blood, but, but born of, okay. But also Paul goes on later in Galatians to say that we're adopted into this family. That this, we, we have the privilege, Galatians chapter four, of being adopted into the family of God and the spirit of God cries out in us, Abba, Father. Now, I told you last week I've been rereading the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And I came across this, uh, this passage on the doctrine of adoption. So adoption biblically is like an actual theological issue. It's a doctrine, right? That we are adopted into the family of God. And, and here's what Packer says about Adoption, spiritual adoption. He says, adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, higher even than justification. Justification being the fact that we're, we're declared righteous before God. All of what we actually read here in verses 11 and following is, is about our justification, sinners being made right with God. He says, to be right with God, the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God, the father is greater. You are adopted into the family of God. And now you and I become part of this big, diverse, dysfunctional family. Which means, among other things, that we belong to one another. That we depend on one another. That we are responsible for one another. It means we're called into practicing all the one another's of the scripture. I think there's like 57 or 59 one another's just in the New Testament alone. Things like be devoted to one another, accept one another, admonish one another, bear one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another, forgive one another, encourage one another. It's our great privilege and responsibility to practice those with one another because we are part of the family of God. And I know that there are some of you who go, yeah, that sounds awesome, but you know, I've been, I've been hurt by people in the church. And you know what? So have I. You go, yeah, but you don't understand that my church hurt. And I'd say this, have you been hurt by your family members? And you'd go, well, yeah. And I go, do you still love them? And you go, yeah. Well, why is the church any different? When, we're, when it's made up of a bunch of sinners, we're going to hurt each other. It's going to happen. But we don't give up on one another. We confront one another. We repent to one another. We forgive one another. We continue to love one another. I'll come back to this in a second, but he goes on finally to say, he doesn't say it explicitly, but it's sort of inferred here, that we are stones in a temple. He says we're being built together into a spiritual dwelling place for God, a, 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 a temple. There's no more meaningful metaphor that Paul could have used here, really, than the idea of the temple. So we're being chiseled, we're being cemented together into this dwelling place for the Spirit. Now, of course, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells each believer individually. That's true. But there is something unique when the people of God come together as a community, when they come together as a family, when they come together as citizens, and, and the, the Holy Spirit uniquely 
dwells, manifests his presence here among us. I was talking to my community group about this last week, and I was saying, um, I've heard this phrase, thin spaces, before. And I don't know about for you, but, but for me, when I come into this place, when I gather with you here on Sunday morning, uh, it doesn't matter how great or how not great the music is. It doesn't matter if the lights are working. It doesn't matter if the words are right on the screen or not. And, and the 99% of the time, it's all awesome. Thank you, all of you who serve in those capacities. That stuff doesn't matter to me so much because when I'm here and I'm hearing your voices and we're singing to the Lord and we're reciting scripture, it's a thin space between heaven and earth. It's a thin space between heaven and earth. Like we, this is like a foretaste of our eternity that we get to be together and, and worship our God together for, for the rest of the days that will be, which is forever. It's amazing. I'm so, I'm so filled with joy when I get to meet with you all. So, um, we're stones in a temple, and, uh, and, and the presence of God is unique here among us when we're gathered together. Now, Paul says later in this text, it's not going to happen, though, unless Jesus is our cornerstone. What does that mean? They don't really build buildings like this anymore, but old buildings were built with a cornerstone, which was the first stone laid and it was set just right, and everything else was built in reference to it and dependent on it so that the building would be plumb and level and straight and all that kind of thing. And so the point here is, as you and I come to Jesus, as we are dependent on Jesus, as, we are, as our lives are sort of set in reference to Jesus, um, things change. As we center our lives around him and his good news, he binds us more tightly together. Okay? I guess the way to say it would be like this. No one grows deeper in knowing Christ who does not simultaneously grow closer to the people of God. That might be controversial. You might disagree with me, but you can be wrong. It's okay. (laughs) No one grows closer to, to Christ, knowing Christ more deeply, who doesn't simultaneously grow more connected and more um, committed to his people, the church, because the, the church is the bride of Christ, and you can't love Jesus and not like his wife. Okay, so we experience together a new identity as the people of God and true belonging as heaven breaks into this world through the church, okay? That's the ideal. That's the picture Jesus is painting for us. And I know that our reality does not always match that, but that's what we're striving for. Now, uh, in in the last few minutes we have together, I want to get real practical. We call it, the phrase we use here, right? Knowing Christ, becoming a family. The reason why we use the phrase becoming a family and not we are a family is that it doesn't just happen, it doesn't just happen. There's no, uh, you know, just by your attendance doesn't make you a family. Proximity does not define relationship, right? So just as knowing Christ, as we talked about last week, takes investment, so too becoming a family takes intentionality and it takes prioritizing the family of God in our lives. As I mentioned last week, I believe the most valuable commodity that any of us have is our time. And every one of us gets an equal amount at the start of every week. We get 168 hours a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's the time all of us are allotted, okay? So we're all on level playing field. And last week, when we talked about knowing Christ, I said, hey, um, 
If, you're, if you don't already have rhythms of following Jesus as a sort of starting point baseline for following Christ, would you say that Jesus is worth at least 2% of your day? And, and, and I think most of us would say, yes, of course Jesus is worth at least 2% of my day, which is 30 minutes. And so we talked about how we can spend that 30 minutes in the word, in prayer, in worship, right? Growing closer to, being intentional about knowing Christ more deeply. Similarly, I wanna ask today, as a starting point for following Jesus, as a, as a baseline for our spiritual health and vitality, right? Is it worth, is, is, is becoming a family worth at least 2% of our week? Is this devotion to one another as the people of God worth at least 2% of our week? That equates to around three hours a week, Okay. Now, I know that some of you are going to go, ooh, three hours. I don't know if I have time for that. And I would remind you that's less than the amount of time the average American spends in the bathroom. <laughs> I would also remind you that last week we said the average American spends 26 hours a week on their phone. So is, so is Jesus worth three of those? I'm not trying to shame anybody. This isn't like a guilt trip kind of thing. I'm just trying to shoot you straight here. Okay, because we say we don't have time for lots of stuff. And it's not that we don't have time, it's that we don't make time. Or we don't prioritize time, right? So, when we center our lives around Jesus and his good news, when he is our cornerstone, our calendars get rearranged. So I would start like this, prioritizing family events. Now, some of you might not be aware of this, but this thing we do right here on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., we do it every week. <laughs> Did you know that? Every Sunday, we're right here. Except for the last Sunday of the year, we take that one off. But, but similarly, every family has rhythms, right? Every family has big events in their lifetime. So I want to just give you a couple of them right now that you can just sort of put on your calendar and... and um, and, and be here for these, okay? Uh, first is February 14th, which the pagans call Valentine's Day, but we call it this year, I'm just kidding. We call it Ash Wednesday. It's the start of the Lenten season, which is a 40-day journey towards Easter. Um, we do an Ash Wednesday gathering where we, we come in here. It's a little bit somber, but it's supposed to be. We're reflecting on our sin and our need for a savior. That's gonna be on uh, February the 14th, and I would strongly encourage you to be here as one of our family gatherings, family events. Uh, Good Friday, right before Easter, is uh, March the 29th, Friday, March 29th. So uh, don't be planning date night. Plan Good Friday and be here for that as we commemorate the death of Jesus for us so that we might have life. Of course, Easter Sunday, if, if, I, if I had the ability, I would just set Easter for the same date every year, but they didn't leave the calendar in my hands. So it changes every year because of lunar calendars and all that kind of stuff. This year, it's March 31st, Easter Sunday, March 31st. I mean, if you've been a Christian a little while, you know they call that like the Super Bowl of Christianity, which is so ridiculous, but it's a big deal, right? It's a big event and everybody's here. So don't be planning your spring break vacation. If you do, come back early, okay? Or leave late or whatever and be here for uh, Easter Sunday as we gather together and worship the resurrected Christ. Um, in the summer, this will be June. We're gonna, we'll do our uh, family 
picnics again. Last year, that was a big hit. We would meet uh, just out here in the parking lot uh, in the evening on a Wednesday, since most of our groups and stuff have died down. Uh, it's a great time just to bring a meal and, and, and build some relationship. We'll probably have some summer classes and stuff going on as well, but um, try to come to some of those, right? Try to come to these, some of these family events where we're just spending time together and building relationship. Of course, our, our, this will be our second church birthday as steadfast is October the 13th this, this year, Sunday, October 13th, okay? Uh, and then, of course, Christmas Eve is on Christmas Eve. So um, make sure that you're here for that as well. Just family or events. These are the rhythms of our family, and you can put those on your calendar. We'll send those out in the loop as well so you have those dates. Second, I would say this, prioritizing participation in a community group or a Bible study. It just so happens... We have our community group and study meet and greet today. What a lucky day for you. So as you make your way out these doors, uh, all of our group leaders and, and, uh, and Bible study leaders will be out there at tables. And um, uh, when I come up and give you the benediction, I'll give you sort of the directions on, on how this is going to work. Um, but you can go and you can meet a leader or two or three or five. And uh, you can, you know hear about their group and what they do, their rhythms and, and their makeup and all that kind of stuff. And then I would say, hey, go, go try some out. You know, go for a week or two. And then if that one's not really a mesh, go find another one and, and join that one for a week or two and just find the community that fits with you. Bible studies are ongoing, a men's study and a women's study, uh, a Tuesday morning and a t Tuesday night. So you can do, go do that as well. And then I, I'm, we're not gonna spend a lot of time on this right now, but I would also say um, a, a really good way of building into the family is to join a serve team. Because every family member has abilities and responsibilities to the household of God, to the family. And there are multiple ways that you can get involved on a serve team. And a serve team is not just a way for you to um, help us. It's actually community building. It actually builds relationship uh, with the people that you serve with. And I know people who some of their best friends came by being on the same serve team together. Now, if you're new around here and you're just kind of kicking the tires on the church, I'm not talking to you necessarily about that, um, but I would encourage you to, to try plugging into a group. Now, aside from the, the fact that these things please the Lord because he's instructed us to do them, there are also proven physical and mental health benefits to being connected to a church family. Did you know that? There was a, there's a, a Harvard professor named Tyler Vanderweel. That's a fun name, Vanderweel. Um, he's written a few articles in USA Today uh, with, with the help of other um, journalists. And his... His studies have shown that those who are deeply connected to church communities, specifically church religious communities, right? Not just the YMCA or the you know, Civitas Club, but Christian or, or faith-based communities. Those who are regularly connected um, are statistically happier, more optimistic about life, more generous, have lower divorce rates, Lower isolation, lower depression, significantly lower rates of self-harm and suicide. And um, he has shown through his studies that you literally can increase your lifespan by as much as 15 years by being connected to a church family. It's almost like when God created the church, he knew what he was doing. All right. That's all I got for you. So uh, as we wrap up, I'm going to give you a couple of questions to consider, and then we'll move into our time 
of response. You can uh, write these down as they come or you can take a picture of the screen, but they're gonna be right here in front of you. Um, First question is this. Have I received the good news of Jesus? Have I been brought near by the blood of Christ? Now, I say this a lot, but for some of you, you know, it's like a floodlight. It was dark and then it was light and you could see and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a Christian, right? For many others of us, it's more like a dimmer switch. You know, just over time as we've been around Christian community or kind of grown up in and around the church, like things got brighter and more clear. And one day you looked around and it was all in color and you're like, I think I'm a Christian, but I don't know when it happened. But my question is, has it happened? Do, do you know Jesus? Is, are, you, are you depending on Jesus? Are you clinging to Jesus with everything that you've got, even if it's by the thinnest little straggly strand of faith? Right? Has he brought you near to God by the blood of his cross? If not, I would love the privilege of talking with you and praying with you this morning that you might know him. Secondly, I would ask you this, very straight up, very honestly, how do I view my relationship with God's people, the church? Are we family? Is, is church this thing I go to? You know, it's like uh, I go to CVS and pick up my prescription and then I'm like, I got my fill for the week and I'm done. Or is, are, is this a people I belong to? Right? Not just that I have a couple good Christian friends, but like, is there something meaningful and significant about this, not only just the gathering, but like the people of God, that I'm connected with them, that I love them, that, that, that my commitment to them is thicker than blood. How do I view my relationship with the, with the people of God, the church? Are we family? If not, I would say, why not? What's keeping you from considering the people of God as family? And then third and lastly, what's one step I can take by grace to participate more consistently with the family of God? For some of you, it might be being more regular about your attendance here on Sunday mornings. For some of you, it might be taking that risk and joining a group. Uh, Listen, a group is an artificial organism, right? It's it's not family, but it can become family. But you got to take the relational risk of joining one and getting around some other people and going, I like this guy. That one really annoys me. And, um, And both are sanctifying, as it turns out. And we learn to love people who aren't like us. So what's one step I can take by grace to participate more consistently with the family of God? So I'm gonna pray for you and then I'm gonna invite you forward to participate in communion. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to these tables where we reflect on um, what Christ has done for us. And I was thinking about this as we get ready for communion. Uh, In the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, there's a son of Jonathan named Mephibosheth, and he's, he's disabled. And, um, and when David becomes king, he thinks that David's going to kill him, but David actually welcomes him into his family, and he welcomes him to his table. And he says, Mephibosheth, even though we should be enemies, I love you for the sake of Jonathan, and you will always have a place at my table. In other words, you, you will always be part of my, my family. And it's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. That because of our sin, because of our selfishness, because of our pride, um, we are the enemies of God. But for the sake of Jesus, who lived the life we couldn't and died the death that we deserve and took all of our sin on himself and was punished for it and rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell for us, we are now welcomed to the table of God. As we come to these tables, we are reflecting on the fact that Jesus' body was broken for us. 
so that ours could be made whole, that Jesus' blood was spilled for us. It was poured out in a new covenant so that we could, could belong to God forever. And so um, this even is a foretaste of what will come, that there's a banquet awaiting us one day in heaven when we will be with Christ and, and we will feast with him. And so he says, when we come to these tables, okay, this is another thin space. Yeah, it's just simple uh, bread and it's just simple juice and wine, but it's a thin space between heaven and earth. It's a foretaste of what's to come, the promise that we will always belong to God and always have a seat at his table, amen? And so I welcome you to come forward as followers of Jesus in faith and in repentance, coming to these tables, taking a piece of the bread, dipping into the juice or the wine, whatever your conscience allows. Um, if you do not belong to Jesus, then this meal does not belong to you. And so I just ask you to stay in your seats during this time. Um, as you make your way back to, we'll start in the back rows, make our way forward. As you make your way back to your seats, uh, there are black boxes at the end of this row right here for um, offerings if you're a regular and want to give. If you are a new here and, and want to drop a connect card, you can do that. And also, the back side of that connect card is for prayer. So if there's a way that we can pray for you as our church family, drop one of those cards in the box as well. Uh, the band's going to lead us in a few songs, and then I'll come back up, give us some final instructions and announcements, and we'll get on our way. Uh, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your kindness to us. I thank you for making us a family. And Lord, we're not good at it. Um, we're, we're broken people who um, continually drop the ball and, um, and unintentionally and sometimes even intentionally um, hurt each other and fail each other. And, um, and we're so thankful for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. We're so thankful for the presence of your spirit in us. And even though we are an imperfect community, we are... Um, by your grace, a community that, a family that stands out from the world, that is a picture uh, of what will be, um, that this love that we have is otherworldly, that it, it is coming down from above. And I pray that more and more you would make us um, a family, the family of God that, that demonstrates to our lost and broken and hurting world that there is a place of belonging and that place is in Jesus. And so Lord, this is our desire uh, to become a family so that all people might experience the joy of Christ. Would you help us to do that? As we respond to you now in communion, in giving, in singing, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified and that you'd fill us with joy in your presence. We love you because you first loved us. We ask that you would be honored in this time in the name of Jesus and we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.